Planting Roots update. Uh, we're really excited still about Planting Roots. If you don't know what Planting Roots is and you're newer than Planting Roots, uh, Planting Roots is the whole idea that, that we have to be out of this building at the end of 2016. Uh, so it's going to be like Obama's America and we're moving in 2016. Okay, maybe not. Um, and, and so they're going to like uh, take down like these buildings and do all the stuff, and they want to tear this one down as well. And so we need a permanent home. We've been looking for years and years and years for a place to move to, and no, nobody either wants a church or they want non-competitive retail or there wasn't enough parking. So what we did is we ended up buying this field that's right there. So it's like, hey, we're just moving next door. You can't get rid of us. So uh, we bought the field out there, and so we've been looking for a way to build that permanent structure. Planting Roots was about that. It's about, you know, planting roots deep in our community, uh, about planting roots, more importantly, in who Jesus calls us to be and living that out. So uh, we asked people to think about what they could do over the course of three years towards that. And so at the end of the Planting Roots journey, you guys committed to $1.1 million, which is quite frankly amazing since we're all poor, Okay. Um, yay. Oh, you can go back when we show that one. Yay. Isn't that cute? So anyway, all right. So, so far towards the 1.1 million, uh, we have received 307,000, oh, no, $322,000. Sorry, my notes are wrong. Uh, towards that. That's amazing. Uh, because, because the percentage watching that, we're kind of on track by the end of this year to kind of be halfway through that. And if you do yours early, you don't have to stop. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, anyway, the, the way it's going, it looks like if we continue going the way that we're going by the end of the three years, we'll actually be over the goal, which will be amazing. Uh, and so we have had discussions with different lenders about securing the rest of the money for, for doing the rest of the construction project. Uh, this includes some things they want from us, like we have to do a full financial audit of our books and things like that, which is great because, you know, everything's open. We want to be honest about all of that. Uh, some of that then in the end will include how much of a cash injection we need to throw in towards that. And you may pull up sometimes and go, okay, we got this field. They may talk about planting roots. They're not doing anything. What's going on? We actually are doing things. Uh, we're talking to, uh, we've got an architect online. We've got a civil engineer online. We've actually done soil samples out there. So there's a lot of stuff uh, taking place. Some of them are gopher holes, but some of the other ones are actually soil samples. Uh, you know, we're trying to get ready to submit our documents for rezoning the project for our land use and stuff like that. So I would like to encourage you to continue your planting roots commitment. And this comes to my four ifs as we get there. My first if is if you have made a commitment and haven't started giving yet, uh, just notify us if something has changed. I mean, like my wife and I, we, we didn't say we're going to give so much a month. We had a thing where we thought this is what we could do over the course of three years. And we've saved and we, and we give that you know, periodically throughout that. And, you know, if, if that's you, great. We're just trying to be able to budget for things. If, if things have changed in your life and you need to revise your commitment up or down, just let us know. It's, it's nothing is legalistic about this. It's not like, oh, you said this. How dare you? It's we just want to be responsible to what God has called us to and to our books. And so that's my first step. The second one then, like I said, is if life circumstances has affected your commitment, uh, just let us know. We want to be faithful to God and to each other in the midst of this. The third is, if there is any, if that your, uh, if there's anything your staff, your elders, uh, your, if anybody can do anything where you might need some help, someone to come and pray with you and talk with you through some things, we would love to do that. Uh, just let us know and we'll be there for you. And if you uh, haven't made a commitment to planting roots, you're not even sure what planting roots really is, even after we talked about it, uh, you can go to elementroots.org. It's our website. You can stop at the Welcome Center in the back. They'll give you a whole bunch of stuff. And who knows, you know, Maybe you will also help us to get 
into the future, which would be great. Uh, so as we continue to point out, none of this, none of this would ever be possible without Jesus. He is our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord. He calls us into amazing things. He has saved us as a lost people. He has made us his own, and it is amazing what he is doing. And so we ask that no matter what circumstances come your way, you continue to pray for those who would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ of the work and ministry of Element, and we'd like to thank you for being part of that and investing in our future home. And I can tell you for my wife and I, we are always humbled to be on this journey with you because it's amazing the generosity of the people who come to Element. Uh, so there you go. Planting roots. Groots. So... We have something special for you today. We've been trying to kind of work everybody in and get them involved going throughout our Pharisee University series, and today is no different, but what we decided to do is uh, Jonathan Whitaker, if you know who he is, he's, he's one of our elders uh, that, that was here for a long time. He's in the military, so they moved him off, and so we worked out this way to kind of bring him in via video uh, to have him do this last one, so we're going to try like video venue today with you, so we're going to see how this works, so I'm going to, I think he's there, so I'm just going to let him go, because we don't have a whole lot of time, so let's see if this works. Good morning, Element. My name is Jonathan Whitaker. Some of you may know me, some of you don't. Um, I used to be one of the elders at Element. Uh, this morning, Aaron has asked me to present week nine of Ferris University. I got my little buddy here with me who's going to help me, so God willing, uh, if the internet holds up and, uh, and she holds up, we're going to get through this this morning. But it's my pleasure to present to you uh, to this topic. So, over the past eight months, you uh, various topics from kind of based on a book that he's been reading by Larry Osborne called Actual So, today, my This is what we call technology. This is, can you still hear me, Jonathan? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, it'd be so much easier if you were just here. Yeah, I agree. So why don't we just do that? (laughs) That was worth it just to see Rob and Mary's face. Oh, excuse me. I forgot how warm it is up here. We've been going to a Baptist church, so if I get sweaty while I preach, I can just blame it on that. <laughs> Speaking of which, can you believe Aaron made fun of my uh, outfit this morning? What a Pharisee. <laughs> I told him, man, I'm the bride of Christ. So I need to look good. So this is your commencement ceremony for, uh, for nine weeks of accidental Pharisee. So I figured uh, by now you'd all be in your robes and sandals with your own little bag of rocks to hurl at me. Uh, so as you've heard for the last eight weeks, Aaron got this idea from a book he read, of course, called Accidental Pharisee by, by Larry Osborne, and I Googled it, and it is, in fact, a book, <laughs> which I have not read. So, but I'm not going to let that stop me today. I intend to preach authoritatively to you as if I had, though I have no understanding of Larry Osborne's theology, nor have I read this or any other book that he has written. I've heard from Aaron that Mr. Osborne, in his book, Accidental Pharisee, has a chapter about the topic of open and closed-handed issues. Having been persuaded by this one-minute conversation which I had with Aaron on the topic, I now hold very strong opinions about about this and Mr. Osborne's views on it as well, which I will now foist upon you for the next half hour. So feel free to cast a stone if you've never done this or something similar. In this case, my lack of preparation is actually a strength, because today I'm talking about dogma. 
It's difficult for me to be dogmatic about a book which I haven't read, or so logic would suggest. God willing, if I do do my job today, my Pharisee pupils, you may find that you are guilty of this very same sin. The sin of being dogmatic about issues which the Bible is not, while ignoring issues about which the Bible is firm. Does that make any sense at all? Good. Stand with me for the reading of God's word. Two men went up in the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes towards heaven. But beating his breast, he said, God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. I tell you that this man went down into his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for these people at Element, Lord, and I thank you for the way they serve you. Lord, uh, teach us from your word this morning. Uh, Speak through me. Uh, Put my words aside and let your Holy Spirit... uh, give your truth this morning. Uh, We just love you and we thank you in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Have a seat, have a seat, please. Let me just get this out of the way. I love you guys and I really miss you, Uh, but I just want to tell you that and I can kind of calm down and and just enjoy being here with you this morning. So raise your hand if you have a, a smartphone. I'm sure at this point in 2015, you all do. How many of you discovered Trivia Crack? Trivia, only my wife, which, okay, be honest. <laughs> so Trivia Crack is this, um, is this little trivia game which she beats me at routinely, which is not great for my pride, but uh, I think it, it's user-submitted questions, so they're all flawed. So <laughs> anyways, <laughs> this morning I'd like to have a little trivia with you. It's not so much trivia, but uh, a little question answer I like to throw in a game to, to get you warmed up this morning. So in his critique of the new evangelical movement, Mr. David C. Ennis compiled a list of attributes comparing fundamentalists to evangelicals. If you will humor me, I'd like to play a game of either-or with you, sort of a trivia game. And this is going to help us focus on where we stand as a group. So I'm going to read uh, two statements, and I'd like you to raise your hand when I ask the question uh, of which more accurately reflects your beliefs. Do you, A, prefer, prefer... Bible-oriented preaching, or B, needs-oriented. So show of hands for Bible-oriented preaching. Okay. Do you emphasize doctrinal correctness and obedience or embrace doctrinal error by compromise? Who's, who has for A? Okay. Do you, emphasize, excuse me, do you emphasize faith and fidelity to God's word or emphasize scholarship and intellectualism? Who, who votes for A? Who vote, hands for A? Hands for B? So according to Mr. Innes, you are all solidly in the fundamentalist camp. Fundamentalism has gotten a negative ring to it. We think of fundamentalists as being critical or closed-minded. They don't like that we use drums and guitars in our worship music. They don't like that we dress so casually in church, me being the exclusion this morning. (laughs) They think we're drinkers and gluttons more in love with the creation than the creator. Are they right? Well, what do we say about them? They wear suits to church. Their worship music is old-fashioned and outdated. They don't enjoy a glass of wine that God has given them to gladden their hearts. Psalm 104, 14 and 15. 
<laughs> so here we sit in two camps, excluding each other for what? For worshiping D- Jesus differently? For ministering to a culture that wears suits versus ministering to a culture that wears jeans? The fact is, whether we do it on purpose or incidentally, we rely on dogmas which may or may not be reflected in the scripture, as, and as a result, the same thing happens. We exclude people and create divisions in the church. So dogma is a principle or a set of principles laid down by an authority, authority is incontrovertibly true. It serves as the primary basis of an ideology or a belief system. It cannot be changed and discarded without affecting the system's very nature itself. We call this doctrine. And if you'll allow me to be dogmatic for a minute, the authority that lays down our principles is and should be the Bible. There is no other source from which we should derive our principles. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Jesus is that Word, and the Bible is his voice. When it comes to theology, do not let your heart be your guide, because remember, the heart is above all things deceitful. Let the Word be your guide. Simple enough, right? Read the Word, do the Word, eat a banana. If it were just that easy, there would only be one style of church, replicated in every community throughout the world, and obviously that's not the case. But excluding bad theology, for which there is no accounting, many biblically sound churches form along the lines of what we call open-handed issues. Here's a couple of definitions that I think will help us this morning. First, closed-handed issues are subjects about which the Bible is absolute. These are sometimes called tenets of the faith or doctrine, as I had said earlier. Among these beliefs are the beliefs that are fundamental to what makes us Christian. For instance, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. The virgin birth or the resurrection, those are the things that make us Christian. Those are, those are closed-handed issues. Now, open-handed issues, on the other hand, are subjects about which the Bible does not give specific guidance, subjects that can be interpreted or have yet to be revealed. However, an open-handed issue will never, ever contradict a closed-handed issue. And, of course, I'll give examples of this as I go on, because that's kind of the juicy stuff that I know you're probably waiting for in the sermon. But uh, one other thing I want you to think about is a dogmatically held belief that is not found in the Bible about God is just bad theology. So if you're coming in here with those notions and, and you can't find it in the Bible, you might want to go back and check your sources. So the common thread between open and closed-handed issues is that they both originate from the Bible. They're based on a correct understanding of the Scripture, and they are consistent with the full counsel of Scripture. So I'm going to start with closed-handed issues. Closed-handed issues are meant to be exclusive. They're fundamental to the faith, and they exclude all other points of view. If you don't agree with, with closed-handed issues, then you probably don't agree with God. As you've heard it said, the Bible is what God has said about himself. 2 Timothy 3 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The scripture ought to be sought daily by the Christ follower, being led under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through prayer for training in righteousness. If you approach scripture, it is to be with an attitude of humility and of teachability to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Remember, God is righteous. We are not. That means shed your preconceived notions when you approach God's throne. Make no mistake, we sin when we try to conform God's word to our own preconceived notions or sinful purposes. People have used sound doctrine with evil hearts to do unspeakable wickedness throughout history. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 8, and, I'll, uh, and I'll, you can catch up with me in just a minute. John chapter 8 tells a story of a woman caught in adultery, one that you will all uh, be very familiar having been through Pharisee University. 
The Pharisees used used the sinful interpretation of the law to accuse this woman of her crime for the purpose of publicly entrapping Jesus as a rebel against the law. What they did not understand was that while, while the woman sat condemned based on the law of Moses, Jesus was before Abraham and before Moses, and his law of love is higher. Their interpretation was correct, but it wasn't correct enough. What they lacked was the full counsel of the entire word of God, and they approached God's word with wicked hearts. The part they did not consider was that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. Fortunately for them, they had the living word standing in their midst, ready to correct their error. But unlike those Pharisees, when the Christ follower, when us, when we, when we seek God in his word, and we humble ourselves for his purposes, the Holy Spirit of God works, works to help grant us that understanding which they lacked. For those of you taking notes, the lesson of the Pharisees here is, if you're going to be dogmatic about close-handed issues, you had better understand them. Close-handed issues must be applied with the loving guidance of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The idea is here that we have a volume of scripture with which to draw our interpretations from. Another risk we run when it comes to doctrine is our ever-increasing knowledge of it. Just as the Pharisees became puffed up with knowledge of the law and doctrine, when we separate Christ's love from Christ's words, we take the application of closed-handed issues and turn them into a stumbling block for our brothers. Paul demonstrated this in Corinthians. And you can, we'll pick up in verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know all of us possesses knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is, but, there is no God but one. And let's skip ahead to verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former associations with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we eat, and no better off if we do, if we do not. But take care, and this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you, who, having knowledge, eating at an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged with, if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, and a brother from whom, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their consciences when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, it makes my, if it makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. Okay, so I know Aaron recently talked about this. So he was listening to it on the podcast. <laughs> he used this passage to help us illustrate how we can cause our brothers to sin by misusing our liberty found in Christ. And that is true. But let me show you something else from God's living and active word. Paul makes it plain that this is a closed-handed issue. People who have tasted grace need to realize that Paul is not simply giving us new rules to replace old rules. It used to be that we could eat food to offer, or couldn't eat food offered to idols, but now we can, unless there's a weak-minded brother around, you know, that sort of a thing. Food offered to idols is permissible to eat. It's a closed issue. You know that, and I know that. The problem is, that guy doesn't know that, and he used to worship idols. I used to because you were looking down writing notes. <laughs> Worse than that, uh, I'm just going to keep pulling the string. He's a new Christian and doesn't have a great ma- mastery of doctrine yet. So when he sees you chowing, chowing down at Zeus's bar and grill, he wrongly thinks that his former sin, which he participated in, idol worship through eating a food sacrificed to idols, is okay. So he goes back to worshiping idols and is, in general, super confused.
So even though you're enjoying your freedom in Christ, your knowledge has actually caused your brother to sin because you exercise your freedom on a closed-handed issue without considering the heart and the vulnerability of your brother. But Aaron already said that. So let's look again at verse 12. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you have sinned against Christ. Do you wonder why Paul says that? Why do we sin against Christ? We know that we cause our brother to sin because he's weak-minded. But how do we sin against Christ? When we decide that our liberty to use our liberty in a way that would cause others to sin, we elevate ourselves above Christ. It wasn't us who gave men liberty to eat. Christ did. Freedom is a great thing, but it should be enjoyed as we worship God. This should give you a little extra motivation to go to gospel communities. And that way, you can make sure all of your friends understand that they can eat as much food sacrificed to idols as they want with a clear conscience and avoid this entire situation. But as you've heard Aaron say, we do have freedom. If, if with Christ you die to elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. touch. That's in Colossians 2. That's a closed issue. If you want to have a, have a glass of wine, go for it. If your heart is in the right place. Look, I've got alcohol in my home. Is that a sin? No, it's not a sin. Do I get drunk? No, I do not. Both are closed issues. Now then, my cousin and I were talking a few months back, and he told me that he was going to visit San Francisco, so he asked me for suggestions about what to do. So I said, hey, how about Napa Valley? You should try that. And I start going down that thread. And he stopped me. He said, well, well, well. You know, God, God threw me a bone here. He said, I appreciate it, but I'm not much of a drinker. One is too many, and six ain't enough. You follow? He wasn't much of a drinker anymore. Now, I know drinking is permissible. Should I have said, hey, Colossians 2, bottoms up? Nope, not at all, because my liberty is his prison. The point is, on all issues, open or closed-handed, the motivation of your heart is the most important thing. Matthew 15, 8 and 9, Jesus quoted Isaiah when questioned by the Pharisees about the conduct of his followers when they enjoyed the liberty found in Christ, pointing out that even as the Pharisees abstained from certain practices for religious purposes, called asceticism, the state of their hearts renders their actions worthless. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The same is true of us when we enjoy the good things God has given us without acknowledging him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Where was your heart when you enjoyed that last glass of wine? May I suggest something to you? If you accept the liberty that Christ gives believers without first being obedient to his commands to love God and love your neighbors, then you have no liberty at all. All scripture is useful for training in righteousness, but we cannot remove love from the equation. God must be the authority by which we determine closed issues. Now that brings us to closed-handed issues, or open-handed issues, excuse me. These are quite often the lines on which congregations form or rifts in congregations open up. As with closed-handed issues, we must let the Holy Spirit be our guide. I know this is what you've been waiting for, so if you don't have your stone, the parking lot's right there, you can probably get me, get, get one. Um, I, and uh, I, will, I will give you kind of a list, but uh, we'll get to it. Just bear with me for a second. For your benefit, I'd like to give you a few guidelines, um, which I've come up with. Uh, I don't profess to have any special knowledge, but I think these are useful um, 
for interpreting open-handed issues in Scripture. And, of course, it's not exhaustive, and I'm in the Air Force, so you get three of them. Okay? <laughs> so the issue must be derived from the Bible. Pretty simple, right? Your doc- if your doctrine's not found in the Bible, then it's extra-biblical, and it's neither an open or a closed-handed issue. In Christian churches, this is typically not the case. You'll find the sort of problem in churches that borrow some Christian themes but are not themselves Christian, LDS, Jehovah's Witnesses, etc. Should you find yourself in a church like that that is make, being dogmatic about issues which aren't found in the Bible, head for the door as fast as you can. Okay, so the second tenet that I want you to, to kind of keep in mind as you're, as you're uh, interpreting open-handed issues is the Bible gives us everything we need but nothing we don't. We might want to know more, but the words on the page is not how we know Jesus more. Experiencing, ex- experiencing him is how we increase that knowledge. So here's a couple of examples of the sufficiency of the text of the Bible. And, of course, you could just go on and on. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is important that he created the heavens and the earth, not how he did it. He could tell you, but you probably wouldn't understand anyway. Here's another one that I like. Uh, What was Jesus doing between the ages of 13 and 30? Well, I'll tell you what he was not doing. He wasn't sinning. (laughs) He was probably serving his father in heaven and his family on earth. It's his ministry that God wants us to know about. And as John the disciple said, Now there are so many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written. The Bible is sufficient. If God wanted us to know more, he would have shown us more. He came in the flesh, and that still wasn't enough for most people. Blessed are those who have believed without seeing. Now, of course, there are keys to help us understand the Bible more clearly, like understanding the cultural nuances of the people in the stories. We also gain clarity when we understand the language used by the writers. Anthropology gives us clues to the significance of the cultural examples found in the Bible that may be foreign to our experience. But the Bible itself is sufficient. The stories happen in real space and time and cultures with rich histories. So this one's my favorite, and I feel very clever with this one, but (laughs) you'll just have to bear with my pride here. Some topics are just intended to be a mystery, like prophecy yet to be fulfilled. If God wanted you to know the fulfillment of a prophecy before it was fulfilled, you would be a prophet. But here's the rub. Most of the prophets themselves didn't even understand how or when the prophecy would would come to pass. They were simply faithful to the message given to them by God. And I will come back to this with examples. But while on the topic of mysteries, when the scripture refers to a mystery of the Old Testament, it's about to reveal what that mystery meant. So, you know, it does throw you a bone. Colossians 1 has a great example of this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, that in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for the ages and the generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what was the mystery? The mystery is Jesus is the Messiah, and he is the Messiah of all men, not just the Jews. Excuse me for a moment. So if you approach that mystery in the Old Testament, guess what? It would still be a mystery, but it's not. So Paul was given the interpretation, and he passed it on to us. But if, it was, if that mystery endured through the New Testament, well, guess what? It's going to be a mystery until Jesus returns. So if you approached it in that, in that manner, uh, it was an open issue, but now it's closed. 
So a suggestion for you, though, is when you, when you find things like that in the, in the Bible, if you, interpret if you like, but just don't cl- count it as a closed issue. With these guidelines in mind, I think you can prayerfully take to Scripture and learn what God has, God has to say about a variety of issues that some consider open-handed. I suspect one by one, they will become more and more closed-handed. At least I've found that in my, in my own um, experience. So your stones ready? Because here's my list. <laughs> if a prophecy is given in Scripture, fulfilled in the biblical canon, and explained, then it's a closed issue. Therefore, if it's not fulfilled yet, we can consider the interpretation opened. Here's an example of some closed prophecies. This is from Numbers. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now here's the prophecy fulfilled. John 13. You see John 3, 14, 15. My my bad. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So here's an example of a prophecy made in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, to whom you shall listen. And now here's the prophecy fulfilled. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That is an example of prophecy as a closed issue. Prophecy made, prophecy fulfilled. Okay, now here's an open one. Daniel's end times prophecies. Nobody throw your Beth Moore book at me. So without getting into a year-long sermon on Daniel, I want to say a few things. I just read uh, Isaac, Sir Isaac Newton's book uh, on the topic, and it was brilliant. It was thorough, mathematical, and a bit unnerving at times. And I, like Newton, would not hazard to guess when Jesus will, would, will return, though you could with his formulas. See me after the service. <laughs> no, don't, please. <laughs> okay, so, but the reason why I won't interpret it is the same reason that he wouldn't, because the, the, pro- the prophecy is unfulfilled and an, open, and an open-handed issue, and it is because God said it is. So Daniel 12, 8 through 9 says, I heard, but I did not, did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. Someday we will under- understand what Daniel did not concerning that prophecy. But that day is not today, most likely. So we can speculate and ponder for our own entertainment, but the second one of you wants to make this a closed issue, remind me not to stand too close to you on a cloudy day. Okay, so the next topic is baptism. Any Catholics? Any former Catholics? All right, this one's for you. So in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is a command and a closed issue. Believers are to baptize new believers. Immersion versus sprinkling. We baptize here at Element through immersion because Christ was baptized with immersion. The example we see of the disciples when they baptize is with immersion. Immersion is a picture of how we were buried to our sin and raised to a new life. There are many reasons to immerse, excuse me, but you, and you should do it. But what it does not is a command. The scripture never commands immersion. Baptism is a symbolic burial, and what is important is that the believer is publicly professing Christ and the burial to sin. If you can demonstrate that burial with a bucket of water poured over your head, more power to you. If you want me to baptize you, though, we're going to need something a little deeper. But it's an open issue. Two men went down into Element Christian Church to pray, one a deacon and the other a drunk. 
The deacon said, Thank you, Lord, that I am not like other men. I pray daily. I give my full tithe of my six-figure income. I blog about theological books I have read. I always greet new people when they come to visit on Sunday morning. Lord, what a great testimony I have for you. Unlike that drunk who still reeks of last night's bender, and the drunk on his knees says, Lord, give me mercy. I am a sinner. Who is justified? As Christ's church, we should know his word and uphold his statutes, but no amount of knowledge or obedience to the commands of Christ will ever put the God of the universe in our debt. We are wretched and undeserving of grace, and the Creator God hung on the cross to pay our debt. Now there is a closed issue that stands above them all, the gospel. About the gospel, we should be dogmatic, zealous, fanatical. Ask yourself, is my burden to follow rules and win a prize when I die? Or is my burden for sinners dying in their sins? Your actions will show it. You will tell everyone you know when you believe something is true. Did Jesus Christ create a perfect world and us in it? Did our sin bring the fall of that perfection and death? Did God himself die in our place when he was crucified? Was Jesus Christ raised from the dead? Will you be raised from the dead? The answer is yes. Be dogmatic about that. Tell everyone about that closed issue. When a Pharisee and the sinners of this world ask you who Jesus was, what will you say? I know what I will say. Whether he was a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, I now see. Our dogmas, our doctrine, our open and close-handed issues are of little importance when our heart is not fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Humble yourself and lean on the Holy Spirit. Be filled with God's truth. It's for this reason that we come to communion every week, to remember that Jesus is, Jesus is the Word and not us. When we break the cracker, we remember that Christ's body was broken for the issue of salvation to become a closed issue. When we dip the cracker in the wine or the grape juice, we understand that salvation was open to all people. It's our obedience on closed issues of the Bible that can draw us to Christ, but it can never put the God of the universe in our debt. One Pharisee understood that above them all. And here's what he said of himself. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has confidence, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever, I gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the, for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the sake of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ. Don't let your zeal for the truth be the thing that drives you away from Christ. If you have questions about closed... You guys can come on up. Band's back there dancing. If you have questions about where you stand with Christ or, or open or close-handed issues, we have elders and we have deacons that are happy to pray with you and talk with you after the service. If you have, that, have a question about that ultimate issue of your salvation, come talk with me. Let's settle that this morning. I'll be in the back. I just want to say it's been a real pleasure to, to be here with you this morning. Um, I've enjoyed get, to give you this little message here, the short message that God laid on my heart, and it's just good to see all of your faces, and uh, 
Jennifer and I really miss you. We love you all, and we're glad to be back here. So come by and shake our hand and give us a hug if you, if you want. <laughs> um, we would love to see you all. So if you will, please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this nine-week series of Pharisee University, Lord. It's, it's so good um, that you've given us uh, just a multitude of examples of, uh, of the misuse of your word in your Holy Scripture, Lord. And um, please just change our hearts and, and, uh, and help us to use your Scripture to, to edify you and to, and to lift others up, Lord, and to point people to your, your mercy, Lord. Help us to keep our heart uh, in our interpretation of the word and our study. Lord Jesus, we love you. Uh, I know there might be some people here today that are far from you, Lord, and I pray that um, you'll just put a burden on their heart to, to, to deal with whatever sin it is in their life that's keeping them away from you, Lord. Let us be brothers that surround them and love them and help bring them back to redemption, Lord. Let us be a community of people that, that love you and honor you and, and shine a light for Santa Maria and beyond. We love you, Lord Jesus. Please bless this church that has done so much for me and my wife and my children. We want to be your people. We love you, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.